Welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson and I'm delighted to host Associate Professor Izzy Moore and Physiotherapist Bronya Donnelly on today's BJSM podcast. We will be talking about returning to running after pregnancy and a whole systems biopsychosocial approach for any clinician who is seeing pregnant or postpartum women in the clinic. Now, a little bit about Izzy and Gronya. Izzy is an associate professor in sports medicine and human movement at Cardiff Metropolitan University. Izzy's research focuses on injury rehab, female athlete health, and sports injury epidemiology. She's also an associate editor for the BJSM and sits on the Equality, Diversity, and Inclusivity Committee. Gronya is a physiotherapist and founder of Absolute Physio, a pelvic health-focused physiotherapy clinic in Northern Ireland. She has a particular interest in perinatal exercise and diastasis rectus abdominis and provides training and education to help prove knowledge and awareness on a global scale. Gronya is currently undertaking a master's in advancing practice and is an honorary member of the Perinatal Physical Activity Research Group at Canterbury Christchurch University in the UK. Welcome to the podcast. We know the huge physical and psychological changes that can occur during pregnancy and after childbirth, and there's this growing recognition for the need to rehabilitate postpartum women prior to returning to running in a similar manner to how we might rehabilitate other musculoskeletal injuries. So what I'm really keen to talk to you both about today is a recent study in the BJSM looking at factors associated with postpartum return to running. So firstly, yeah. How did you come to conduct the study? Why did you do it? And can you talk us through the main findings? Yeah, sure. So it's great to be here and uh, have the opportunity to be able to discuss uh, this paper. Uh, So I guess women in particular in sport and exercise medicine are really underserved in terms of the knowledge that we have, and even more so when you then start looking at pregnancy and postpartum. So as a population, we know very little. So if we want to help clinicians make informed, evidence-informed decisions, we really need to start actually creating some of that evidence. And Gornia uh, did an excellent talk. Oh, I'm going to get the years wrong now. Pre-pandemic, November pre-pandemic, whenever that was, um, uh, talking about the, this population and, and return to, to running. And then a few months later, I kind of got in touch to say maybe we should do something. And I guess you can say the rest of it is history after, after that. Uh, so we started to go, well, we need to start looking at what factors contribute to potentially getting them back to return to running before we can maybe look to intervene and do anything. So that really kind of was the, a, a brief snapshot of, of how we got to put in the study together. Uh, we got a, a few other clinicians on board. So we were fortunate to work with Emma Brockwell and, and Joe Perkins, who have a wealth of expertise also in pelvic health, but also in sport-related injuries. So having that expertise around the table to help pull together what we think we should be asking, what we should be looking at, as well as looking at the very limited literature um, and bringing in some of the sport and exercise medicine literature into that as well. So you mentioned there about kind of we need to rehabilitate them. So it's taking a bit more of an injury perspective 
into what we're doing with the postpartum population. So that's that's really why we kind of took the route we did with this study. Yeah, well, it was really interesting, some of the findings that we actually got. We had a really good intake of women. There were 881 participants in the study. And the type of things that we found that were really interesting, as expected, just under a third of women were leaking urine. And this would fit with what we find in the general population. They are one of the main things that women complained about that actually impacted their ability to continue running was the sensation of vaginal heaviness. Um, So it really indicates the need to ask women about these symptoms and to explore what exactly it is that they're experiencing so that we can give them the correct rehabilitation and find out what the factors are that may be limiting their ability to run. I think one of the other ones that we found um, was really interesting from Izzy from her sports medicine background was the fear of movement concept. So I'm going to let you explain that, Izzy. Oh, wow. No pressure. As a, and as a biomechanist, any psychologist listening to this will probably probably cringe at my very broad kind of fear of movement understanding. So I do think of myself as a bit more of a generalist <laughs> than, a, than a specialist when it comes to this. Uh, so the fear of movement, it kind of gets, uh, it's derived from the fear avoidance model. So it's a psychosocial construct that focuses on pain-related fear that is associated with physical activities. So for us, that that activity is running, and rather than it being maybe an injury, which is where the kind of fear of movement often gets talked about. So we know that from low back pain type studies, there's often a high fear of movement. We know that it actually reduces the kind of likelihood of returning to sport after an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction. But we've also found something quite similar in our work that the postpartum women having a fear, having a high fear of movement, uh, reduce their odds of returning back to running. So that potential fear that they might have associated with pregnancy or the, or the birth or yeah that kind of the, that whole phase um, seems to to put them at a reduced chance of getting back to their running. Yeah, that's really interesting, Izzy. And is it fear of movement in general or is it fear of that, you know, heaviness feeling or fear of incontinence? Yeah. The question, the questionnaire we used is a kind of a broad questionnaire around just kind of uh, the event. So in this case, the event we use is pregnancy and uh, and movement in and around associated with that. So it's not, it didn't drill down into some of those specifics that, that Gornia mentioned in terms of that heaviness feeling. Um, unfortunately, we probably need a, to develop a, a new questionnaire to do that. But it's it's, so it's a broader concept uh, that we just applied to this population. Yeah. And Gronya, in your clinical experience, I guess, what, yeah, what are the top three most feared things when it comes to running postpartum? Well, clinically, I would see that it is the type of thing like the sensation of vaginal heaviness because people often don't understand maybe what this sensation means or also they just have a sensation that everything's falling out and nobody wants to feel like that. So that certainly is something that should be explored in the research because it would be really interesting to see if that um, links in with what we see clinically. But even things like what was interesting was that while almost a third of women were leaking, it didn't necessarily stop them running. So for some reason, urinary incontinence seems to be something that women 
almost are happy to tolerate, maybe not happy to tolerate, but they just get on with it. Maybe that's because it's socially considered normal. Whereas one of the messages as a pelvic health clinician that I want to get out there is that while symptoms like urinary incontinence or pelvic organ, pro- pelvic organ prolapse may be common, they're not something that should be just accepted or put up with. And in the same way, if we have any sort of musculoskeletal injury or niggle, we get rehabilitation for it. And that should be the same consideration for pelvic health symptoms. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, Great message for clinicians. One of the things I wanted to mention, if possible, was that uh, interestingly, women who continued running during pregnancy were more likely to return to running after pregnancy. And I think this has huge clinical implications because Running is one of those um, often confusing topics during pregnancy where women don't know whether it's safe to continue running, whether they should continue running. And there can be a lot of misinformation existing around this. So I think where it's safe to do so if someone is running, our study and information showed that if they continued to do so, it actually improved their chances of returning to running afterwards, which, which is really positive. What else did you find in terms of like the risk factors for yeah predicting who got back to running? Yes, in terms of getting back to running postpartum, um, like Gonya said, if if they kept running during their pregnancy, that that helped increase their chances, as well as having a, a high volume of running pre-pregnancy. Um, but then experiencing a high fear of movement or that sensation of heaviness. Uh, reduce the chances so that's just getting back to any level of running but then if we look at just did they return to their pre-pregnancy levels although we had a a smaller cohort who managed to do that Um, again having a high fear of movement reduced the chances of that Um, also having uh, more than one child we found um, increased the chances of getting back but we think that might be because the the level of running might be kind of lower in general you have less maybe less time to do it um you maybe have the experience of having gone through the kind of postpartum phase before as well so that might be beneficial uh, in terms of knowing what, what you need to do um and also be, being younger that um that contributed to, to return to their pre-pregnancy running levels yeah it's a fantastic study and you think it means i guess for clinicians these findings I think it's really useful information um, for clinicians across a broad range of specialities. So for the pelvic health clinicians, it reinforces what we see clinically and it highlights the importance of asking specifically about what type of pelvic health symptoms women are experiencing. Um, But for the musculoskeletal physiotherapists or clinicians, I think it's really important for them to be aware of the implications of the pelvic health symptoms, because oftentimes we can work in our silos where we think that we might deal with the musculoskeletal symptoms someone's presenting with, and it's someone else's remit to deal with the pelvic health concerns. But in the same way as musculoskeletal conditions screen for neurological impairments or rheumatological impairments, they might not be expected to manage and treat them. They may simply just signpost someone to the services they need. There's a great need for an an expansion of pelvic health-related concerns to be added to musculoskeletal assessments and valuations because 
as a musculoskeletal clinician, you may be the difference that makes a difference to someone's journey. Um, these symptoms often aren't reported. They're quite embarrassing for women to report. So you may be the one window that they mention or allude to the type of symptoms that they're having. And the message that it sends to a woman, if that's simply brushed over or not um, acknowledged, is that, all oh, right, well, I'll not mention that again because that's not relevant. Um, and that's why women go on for decades suffering with symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction. So I'd like to think that our findings are interesting to a broad range of clinicians and whereby they think that it's important to even just simply ask the question because Izzy mentioned in research and epidemiology that unless you ask the question about whether someone's leaking, you don't find out that information. And this is relevant to clinical practice as well. So let's all start asking simple questions. We screen for cauda equina and similar type of symptoms. So it's now just adding a different context to that. Yeah, that's great advice. And if clinicians were wanted to do, I guess, a little bit more reading, like is the is your study that we're just talking about the best one to go to in terms of just some of those key questions to ask, or have you are there any other resources you could direct the listeners to? We actually in this the presentation that Izzy's talking about where we first met was um, Emma Brockle and I were presenting our returning to running clinical guideline that we produced in 2019. And we actually went on to publish an infographic in the British Journal of Sports Medicine on this clinical guideline. Um, and for that, we linked in with Dr. Haley Mills, Dr. Marlies DeVivo and Dr. Alan Rankin. So it's, it's an interesting read and it's quite a nice um, infographic for both clinicians and actually the women um, who are serving because it has a nice um, progressive rate of return to running in it and it's very nice visual and gives nice examples of exercises but the actual original clinical guide has lots of information which is really useful for musculoskeletal conditions as well and I found in my um, NHS that a lot of the musculoskeletal physiotherapists were actually using this clinical guide um, Izzy and I also have a couple of publications coming out this spring and one of them is a clinical commentary and it's about whole system factors that um, may influence returning to run in postpartum. And there's actually nice supplementary um, resources within it that um, provide clinical case scenarios and also signpost the reader to other um, readings. So there's a couple of things there that we could even post in the show notes that may be useful for clinicians looking to find out more about this area. And what might be really useful for clinicians like how do you ask, it seems it might seem really simple to, to you both, um, how do you ask if someone's having vaginal heaviness or incontinence? Because those things mean like lots of different things to, to patients, I would imagine. This is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for uh, clinicians because it's nearly that, how do I even articulate this? And it can become a bigger deal than it actually is. And what I would say is keep it simple and once you start asking it, it actually becomes easier. It's once you become comfortable with it, um, it's not an awkward, awkward situation anymore. And usually women are actually delighted that someone's asking them about something that's been bothering them so much. Um, in terms of vaginal heaviness, you don't even have to say the word vagina if that um, is too scary for you. But even just mentioning, do you know what's really common for women to experience heaviness down below in the pelvic region? Would you ever find that? Um or have you ever heard of, um, or just even ask them, have you any symptoms um, in the pelvic floor region? Even that's enough of an opener for women that if they have symptoms, they're going to divulge something. Whereas if it means nothing to them, they probably don't have any symptoms. 
Um, if anyone finds it really difficult, you can simply give women a screening questionnaire where the questionnaire asks the questions and something that's quite uh, simple to fit into your clinical practice and add to your normal um, assessment is something like the pelvic floor impact questionnaire. It's just a short form and it's a quick tick box for the client. And so if they give that back and you flag on it that there's symptoms, it may be then that you can suggest to them, well, you know what, we have a pelvic health colleague here that I could refer you into and we could both work alongside you together. And as I said, you could be the window, the one window where that woman has disclosed these embarrassing and difficult symptoms that impact their quality of life. So I think it's really important that we are open to letting them disclose this information so that then you can signpost them where they need to go. No, that was great, Gronia. Gronia, do you have any general tips for clinicians talking to patients about running during pregnancy? Um, I'm guessing there's a lot of mis and mixed information out there and patients may not be sure how much they can and can't do. Running during pregnancy is a really, really common discussion that comes up time and time again. And there seems to be a significant lack of established guidance because it's a question that never seems to be answered. Um, we have a exercise or physical activity in pregnancy guidelines that came from the Canadian group of researchers. Um, and it was really useful. And if we look at it, what it highlights is that it's safe to continue any form of non-contact related sport so long as there's not a significant risk of falls. So for someone who is a runner, usually people who are runners, it becomes part of their life. Um, it's a, quite a big part of their life. And if you become pregnant and you're medically well in your pregnancy and there's no concerns about the mother or the unborn baby, I suppose our research and our understanding today is that it's safe to continue running. And certainly the research we did supports this because it was those women who continued running for as long as they felt comfortable that were likely to return to running afterwards. So it's just basically knowing the warning signs of when to slow down. And it's simple common sense advice that applies no matter if you were pregnant or not. So if someone was running and they had a niggle or an ache or a pain or something didn't seem quite right, and they weren't pregnant, they would probably scale back and think about this and see, should they continue running or what's going on? Similarly in pregnancy, there's a few things that we can look out for in terms of whether you're able to continue a conversation with running. So they talk about the talk test. You shouldn't really be overexerting yourself to where you cannot maintain a conversation. Um, if you're having any aches, pains, cramps, um, contractions, side feelings in the abdominal wall, it's probably a good um indication to get checked out and you shouldn't have any fluid loss or bleeding. Now, we mean from the vaginal area because as we know, approximately a third of women are leaking urine and usually women are quite aware that it's urine they're leaking and not something else. But if in doubt, get checked out. Um, and as I say, there's more, if anyone's looking for more information about exercising during pregnancy, it's worth checking out the Canadian guidelines and they're released in 2019 um, and they're a really useful document that um, go into a lot of information about this. But Generally speaking, if you're well, it's safe and, and you have been a runner, it's safe to continue running. It's probably not a sensible um, choice to take up running after getting pregnancy if you haven't been one before. A lot of the concern from women comes from mixed information. So where I may be telling them that they're a seasoned runner and that they've got a straightforward pregnancy and if they're happy running and want to run and feel good, they can continue. Whereas they may meet their next healthcare provider who tells them absolutely no running during pregnancy. It's a big no-no. And so it, it creates such confusion for the general public. So we need to be all 
I suppose, given out the evidence-informed information. Now, you both then followed up your original research with some colleagues and published a fantastic editorial in the BJSM, Reframing Return to Sport Postpartum, the six R's framework. Now, I love it. It is filling a big gap in our current return to sport frameworks to help guide multidisciplinary teams in this space. So can you talk us through the six R's? Um, so we linked in with uh, Ros Cook and Emma Brockwell and Dr. Alan Rankin um, to create this editorial. And really the six R's built upon um, a concept that Ros Cook had in the past. And basically we have the R ready, review, restore, recondition, return and refine. And for me, the most important point in this framework is actually the ready phase because Unlike injuries where I suppose we hopefully don't expect them or we're not aware, we're not hoping to get an injury, pregnancy and childbirth is something that we can actually plan for. So once something realizes that they are pregnant or perhaps they're even prior to that, they are hoping to get pregnant, you're in a situation where you can start to prepare for the potentially upcoming phases. And that's a huge advantage. Um, and it totally changes the course of everything. We know in healthcare that preparation and um, even preventative approaches to healthcare are the best approaches and have the most successful outcomes. So this is really, really exciting. And it's something that we want to bring awareness to, to again, all clinicians or all health and fitness professionals serving women, particularly in the concept of this, it was to do with female athletes. So anyone serving high performance sports should really be aware of um, the importance of considering these situations. And um, when we move on to some of the other factors, review is basically your review to evaluate their not only musculoskeletal needs of recovery, but also specific to their pelvic health concerns. And it's also about considering whole systems considerations. So it's looking at that person in front of you and not just um, considering the physical elements. It's really applying a biopsychosocial model to them. And then we have restore, which is, I suppose, depending on what you find, you need to restore their physical and psychological well-being, depending on their individual needs. Recondition is all about strength and conditioning and really targeting in on what needs to be um, progressed. And we have a stage for return to play and it should be graded. And the refine stage um, is something that's really important as well. It's not just about getting someone back to play and that's the job done and the box ticked. It's about monitor monitoring them and I suppose safeguarding their long-term ability to maintain that return to play status and not um, get setbacks. Fantastic. Now let's bring this framework to life a little bit. You're a clinician such as a physiotherapist seeing a pregnant woman for another musculoskeletal low limb complaint. What is that physio's duty of care in terms of assessing, educating and potentially providing intervention or advice about, say, pelvic health? And what can a general physio provide versus a specialist women's health physiotherapist? There is some overlapping concepts depending on what um, area of work we work in. And so we can't just silo off and think that we don't consider or deal with anything to do with pelvic health or perinatal or female specific concerns. Um, and simply just asking the question about whether someone is having symptoms or concerns in their postpartum recovery is really, really key. It's not that you have to necessarily deal with the answer you get, but you may be really integral in that signposting to the professional that they need. That aside, as I suppose 
MSK clinicians, as anyone who works in rehabilitation, we're rehabilitation specialists and we really want to optimize motor control around the body. And that includes considering the pelvic floor. So it is totally appropriate for musculoskeletal clinicians to be aware of how to educate a woman on how to find or engage or train their pelvic floor because again you may be the only source of contact that they are having about that and sometimes simple information that explained how to do a pelvic floor exercise is all that woman needed and doesn't necessarily need a referral into pelvic health um, service so if you're not sure about it even getting um, linking in with your pelvic health colleagues and um, having discussions having resources or just even signposting them to some of the resources we mentioned today are is really really good I think the biggest thing our research highlighted is that if you don't ask you won't find out so asking questions about whether someone is experiencing leaking or a sensation of vaginal heaviness is just as important as finding out if they have lower limb pain with running. And Izzy, maybe this one can be for you. More and more female athletes are entering motherhood during their athletic career. Is there a need to have a more proactive approach to pelvic health? And do you have any advice for clinicians managing professional athletes during pregnancy? Yeah, I think there is uh, a need to be proactive. I mean, it's the first stage of uh, the, the reframing is, is getting ready and being proactive is essential to that. And again, if we go back to looking at risk factors for stress urinary incontinence and future issues down the line, um, if, if they already have it before going into pregnancy, uh, we know that's a, a barrier to returning to running from from our paper that we identified. And so being as proactive with your pelvic health uh, is, is really key, particularly if you're in high impact activities such as running where we know it's more common. So from a, a, a clinical perspective, again, like Ronya said, it's about asking those questions so that you know whether it is something that you need to target. Um, but even if they're not necessarily having symptoms, uh, like any other muscle, you, you know, training your pelvic floor muscle is is important as well. Because if you don't have symptoms pre-pregnancy, it doesn't mean that you won't develop them during pregnancy or after pregnancy as well. So it's something that can simply be added uh, during their, their pregnancy, probably better than, than postpartum in case they start developing the symptoms anyway. So that proactive approach could safeguard kind of their, their longevity in, in the sport of not needing to modify their sport or stopping engaging in the first place. Fantastic. Now, lots of great advice today and some evidence emerging by the sounds of it to support um, all of this. So how do we actually raise awareness amongst women about the importance of engaging with a multidisciplinary team um, and, and what those team members might be able to do for them during pregnancy and even postpartum. It comes down to a lot more clinicians being aware of um, the issues, I suppose, associated with this population and not being afraid to ask the question because the more clinicians asking questions about this topic, the more mainstream it becomes, the less of a taboo issue it becomes and the more um, awareness out there to the public that there's something that can be done about this. But it also comes down to more public health campaigns. Um, I often use the example of 
if we think 10 to 15 years ago, saying the word breast out loud would have been considered a little bit taboo. But with breastfeeding campaigns, with breast cancer awareness campaigns, it's now something that's pretty okay to say. People don't squirm or flinch if someone mentions the word breast. And we need to do the same thing with pelvic health. Yeah. And on that, I guess, if you are asking those questions, some patients might not, yeah, realise that a physiotherapist can help them with those issues. Do you then kind of, I guess, follow it up with like, why are you asking those questions? Like you do have the skills to um, help. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, even to, I've been working in this field for almost 15 years and still I get women come in and go, I did not know this existed. And I often describe pelvic health physiotherapy in particular as the Chandler Bing of physiotherapy because we get up and go to work, but nobody really knows what we do unless they've been to our clinic. And generally speaking, because it's surrounded in taboo, nobody leaves your clinic and tells 10 people about this wonderful service that deals with pelvic floor dysfunction in the same way as they might go out and say that they've seen a really good sports rehabilitation physiotherapist who really helped them get back to play. So it we become a really big secret. And I think it's really important that anyone who's asking these questions, particularly if you're new to asking them and you feel a bit uncomfortable, I, I always think leading it with, um, do you know what's really common for women to experience urinary incontinence after having a baby? Um, and that's something that actually there's rehabilitation for and we can help signpost you. Um, is that something that would be a concern? Just leading it with that. And as you say, reassuring them that the reason you're asking is because there's actually help available and you're within your remit to either deal with it or signpost is really, really key. I love that. That might be the title of the podcast there, Chandler Bing. Chandler Bing. I'm telling you, it is though. Like that's the truth of it. <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, you're both doing fantastic work. Um, really looking forward to seeing um, your next studies as they come out. Just to finish off, can you provide three or four key takeaways for the listeners who may be seeing pregnant or postpartum women who want to return to running? You know, I'll, I'll say that things like fear of movement, um, stress union, continence, making sure you ask about those things specifically. So don't, don't be shy. Like when you mentioned earlier, whether you can do that verbally or, or in a form of a questionnaire to, to start unpicking some of the risk factors that, that we've identified. Yeah, and it's like, as I said, um, ask them because be the difference that makes the difference. You may be that person's only opportunity to disclose these symptoms and actually get something um, instigated as a result of that. But the other thing is to remember that postpartum recovery isn't just about pelvic floor or abdominal wall and the physical nature of it. It's about consider the, considering those wider whole system factors um, and how that may impact a woman's readiness for returning to running or returning to sport um, and how one, you know, different bodily systems can impact each other. And I think that's really, really key. It's taking that wider biopsychosocial model and really applying it. Just add in that um, no matter what area you work in, Telling women that um, health physiotherapy or rehabilitation exists is really important because as you've highlighted, a lot of women don't understand that it exists or that they can access it. And that feeds the problem of them suffering in silence because it just becomes something they put up with or learn to live with. And that shouldn't be the way we need to serve women better. Thank you, Izzy and Gronya. It's been lovely to chat. I've definitely learned a lot today. To the listeners, thank you for listening to this podcast. 
You can find the links to all the great resources Izzy and Gramya referred to in the show notes. Take care and hope you have a physically active day. 